Hey listeners, my name is Meg and I'm a volunteer here at Saltbox Church. I want to welcome you to our podcast. I love that the teaching here isn't about flashy gimmicks or hidden agendas. It's all about diving deep into thought-provoking, Jesus-centered discussions. We're glad you're here and we'd love to get to know you better. So please don't hesitate to reach out with your prayer requests, questions, and comments at our website, saltboxchurch.com. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Welcome. Thank you for spending it with us. This is a family service, so there's little people in here. I know we have our little, there's something quiet bags or some kind of bag, but if you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, be at peace. It is okay. We will uh, journey through this together, and if we have some little squeals, it is okay. Um, I am in Luke 2. Uh, I'm going to reference Luke 2, sort of 1 uh, through 20. Um, I'm not going to read through every word of it uh, this morning, and I'm going to um, just reference it as we go. But here's what I, two things, I guess. Number one, I'd love to start with. If this is your first time at Saltbox, I would want to invite you to try five. Try five services. You're not going to know if this is church home with one or even two. Just come and hang out with us. And if at the end of five services, five weeks, you go, hey, this is a great church, but it is not for me. There are some wonderful, wonderful churches in the city of Wilmington, and we can make some great recommendations to you. How's that? Have you ever had a pastor tell you that? There's a bunch of great churches. We know some great pastors. So anyway, try five, and if at the end of that you, uh, this is not for you, then we'll make some good recommendations. Okay, so Luke 2, come with me, if you will, uh, to Nazareth. So Nazareth is this little tiny know-nothing village in the Holy Land. It is still relatively insignificant, but certainly in the day when Mary and Joseph were there in Luke 2, it was very, very insignificant. And suddenly you have Mary uh, starting out, and I'll just read it here um, in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. This is Luke 2, verse 1 of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place Why Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And I can just imagine that Joseph one day came home possibly from building in the city of Sephoris nearby in Nazareth. And I can just imagine as he came into his house on that day, he may have looked at Mary and said, we have to travel 90 miles down to a little city called Bethlehem. And I can just imagine because Mary uh, is certainly cast scripturally as kind and gentle and gracious, but I assure you God did not pick her because she was a pushover. And I imagine that Mary looked back at him and went, you expect me to walk or ride on a donkey or whatever it is 90 miles when I'm almost nine months pregnant? Can you imagine that conversation? I'm sure it did not go over all that well. And I can only imagine that as Joseph and Mary are having that conversation and then even packing their bags and then setting off on this journey, if they went 10 miles a day, you're talking a nine-day journey. So the entire Christmas story here kicks off with Mary and Joseph loading up, and we always put Mary on a donkey. She may have been, but if you've ever tried to pull a donkey very far, they, they don't love that. So I would guess that Mary walked on her own two feet. She could have ridden on a donkey. We don't really know. But they made this journey for some five, six, seven, eight, nine, or even ten days. 
And what's interesting is uh, Joseph had to go back to his hometown, which was this little place called Bethlehem, because he was of the line of David, verse 4. Then it says in verse 5, he went uh, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room available, no guest room available for them. So let me open this up just a second because in my little imaginary sort of story about what must be going on, we have um, contrast that to sort of our Western ideal. We get this idea that Mary and Joseph went to a hotel and the hotel keeper said, no room. Well, it's probably not exactly like this. If you look at the Greek, probably what happened is by guest room, every peasant family had a home that had a guest room, a main living area, and then a stable all in their house. What's also interesting is in this day and age, many of the peasant families um, would have started building their home on a cave like a, a rock cave. So they would have, if there was a cave behind me, imagine, then they would have come out with rock and built their house out from that cave and then put beams and a roof over it. So when it says there was no guest room available for them, what that likely means is that there was families in Bethlehem that Joseph knew because he was from Bethlehem, so he had families and people that he knew, so you can just imagine, we don't know if it was in the morning or the evening, but Joseph and Mary are trudging up after this 90-mile journey, and they come up to their dear friend's house. Hey, do you guys have room in your guest room? No. Maybe they go to a different friend's house. Do you guys have room in your guest room? No. But what they find is, hey, there is still this stable. So remember, in this day and age, peasants would have had a guest room or a main kind of bedroom area, a living room, and then literally a stable in their house. Now, they didn't have bank accounts, right? But what they had was often sheep and or bah, goats. So they're going to bring those sheep and goats into the house in the evening. So what is likely happening is some dear friend of Mary and Joseph looked at him and said, listen, we've already given our guest room to someone else, and they have a whole family back there, but we have this stable in the front of our home. We have this area where we welcome our animals in, and you can have the baby in our main living room, and we'll all clear out, and then you can make your bed in this stable area. So in this day and age, they would have brought the sheep or the goats into the house at night because it kept the house warm. It also made it smell fresh. So Jesus is probably being born in someone's home. Now I want you to get something because we get this idea in our Western culture that Jesus is um, born in like a barn, and he probably wasn't. He's probably born in a home. So in Palestine, in this day and age, um, the, the uh, hospitality of people was so important. So if there was someone that you knew or that they knew that was having a baby, all of the women of the whole neighborhood would have been out there helping Mary, providing for all of her needs, but she was still having the baby in the front stable of the house. So there she is. Let me pick back up her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So now, a manger in, in our little, as we sort of imagine and journey down this thing, the manger could have been a wooden feed trough like we envision um, most of the time that Jesus is laid in, but mangers were also holes in the floor or holes in the rock in which they would lay feed or grass or hay, and the animals would 
eat. And then the other thing, if I could take you to the hills of Gal or the hills of Bethlehem today, I would actually take you into a cave. And I would take you to the back of the cave and I would show you where there's a hole carved in the rock where the shepherds would place their hay or place the grass and the animals would come and feed. So I would imagine that as Jesus is probably being born in some cave-like place, um, and there are hundreds and hundreds of caves all around Bethlehem, that Mary takes him after he is born and wraps him in whatever little claws that she has, and she puts feed perhaps in this little cave-like carved-out manger, and then she sets him in the rock, in the cave, in the manger. And I can just imagine as she and Joseph are sitting there that they are wondering what is even happening. And can you imagine, and Mary and Joseph had legacy or lineage from Bethlehem, and it, it, I just wonder what was Mary thinking and feeling as she's seen an angel. This angel says, you're going to have the Christ, the King, the baby. And I, I can't help but wonder if on their 90-mile journey as they walk, or as she perhaps rode on a donkey, if at some point she didn't look at Joseph and say, Joseph, while we're in Bethlehem, can we pop by the hills outside Bethlehem where King David was first anointed? So King David was anointed right outside of Bethlehem. And I want you to see in verse uh, 4, so Joseph went up along uh, from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And you don't have to turn here, but I want to make a quick reference because when King David was anointed, something beautiful happened. In the very same place that King Jesus is going to be born, King David in 1 Samuel 16 Verse 7 appears onto the scene. And Samuel shows up. He's this prophet. And he says to Jesse, bring out all of your sons. And so Jesse brings out his sons. And the sons are handsome. And the sons have commanding presence. And Samuel the prophet keeps thinking, surely this is the guy because he's beautiful and handsome. And he has leadership qualities. And God says, no, no, no. And then surely this is the guy. No, no, no. Surely this is the guy. And they get to the end of seven. And Samuel goes, do you have any more kids? And Jesse's like, well, I've got this one know-nothing runt who's out in the field tending the sheep. Now, we'll pick up with me 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I can only imagine that as Mary and Joseph are journeying and they would have been talking, and I'm sure there's moments in this 90-mile trek that Mary would have gone, what are we even doing? I can't even believe this. Here we are. And I wonder if there was any pause where they had a conversation about Jesus being born to a peasant teenage girl and a peasant um, little bit older man who is a carpenter and they're hand-to-mouth in terms of their, their livelihood. And here they are. They're of no rapport. They're of no um, they have no respect and they come into this town they can't even afford a place to stay they're in the front guest uh, stable of a little peasant home and here they are laying this babe into this manger now pause that it says in verse 8 and there were shepherds I'm back in Luke 2 verse 8 there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great 
joy. That will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared, and the angels of God were there praising and singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. So here's what I want to open today, is this question, and let's just, let's set the table with this. If Jesus came to demonstrate and to illustrate and to communicate the love of God, Jesus came to demonstrate and to illustrate and to communicate the love of God, then who he picked to be his mom, and who he picked to be his dad, and who he picked to first attend the birth really matters. So the question that I want us to open up as a church this morning as we celebrate Christmas is, what was it about Mary, what was it about Joseph, and what was it about the shepherds that communicated, that illustrated, and that demonstrated the love of God? And then how can we as a people even apply and understand um, this God as we celebrate Christmas? Make sense? Okay, let's open it up. Why the shepherds? Why Joseph? Why Mary? First thing I would tell you is, I would ask, why didn't God pick of all time? This is the God that stands outside of time. He could have come anywhere, at any time, at any place, and he picks impoverished teenage Mary. I want you to also think because Mary became pregnant with baby Jesus before she was wed to Joseph and there would have been all manner of kerfuffle and based upon Old Testament Mosaic law, she was probably almost stoned or killed multiple times because she would have been shamed. Joseph would have been shamed because that no one understood the way this baby had been conceived. And then I want you to think about the shepherds for just a second because they were also ashamed people, a rejected people. Shepherds are living out in the field, so they are camping all the time. Do you think they smelled lovely? Do you think they wore Old Spice deodorant? Do you think they brushed their teeth? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be gross, but I am trying to get a point across. In the old covenant, um, there were certain things that you had to do to go to church. And some of that, or go to the temple, and some of that had to do with ceremonial washing. Okay, I'll just real quick tie this up. Now, could the shepherds ceremonially wash? No. How did they smell? Probably like sheep. <laughs> right? So if a shepherd would try to go to the temple, someone would literally stop them. One of the religious folk, one of the Pharisees that may have been wearing a nice tie like I am today, would have stopped them and said, I'm kind of teasing if you didn't get that. <laughs> would have stopped them and said, you are not welcome here, you're unclean. You're unclean. So I want you to begin to get something if there's a commonality that we can begin to see between Mary, between Joseph, and between the shepherds is the king of glory inbreaks into earth, into our human experience. And he doesn't choose the powerful or the beautiful or the ones who have it all together or even the A-plus students. No, no, no. What he chooses is a little peasant girl who's been rejected and ashamed, a young peasant man who has also been rejected, and then he takes the people who are most despised by the church and the leadership, the Pharisees or the temple of the day, if you will, and he invites them to the actual birth. You follow me? 
So I want you to get, because, all right, go back to my initial thing. God came, Jesus came to demonstrate and to illustrate and to communicate the love of God. So in order to understand this God and what he is trying to demonstrate, communicate, and illustrate, you have to understand who he invited. You hear me? So who he invites is this little teenage girl, this young peasant man, and these shamed shepherds who literally have no place. I mean, think about this even today. We do everything we can to make church inviting and nice, right down to like coffee and comfortable chairs, right? Can you imagine the way that these shepherds are feeling? So they would have even thought when the angel showed up, surely we are not welcome. We are not welcome anywhere. We are rejected. We are despised. We are hated. We can't go to some woman's birth. But he said, right here, the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Um, to who does he invite? Mary, to carry his son. She's shamed. Joseph, the shepherds who are living in shame. And I want to introduce you this morning to Jesus, the shame breaker. Jesus, the joy maker. Now pause there for just a minute. And I want to inject a couple of things about my own life. Because I think you'll be able to connect some dots. Um, this past, uh, anybody remember what happened last Sunday? Like in the here and now? We had a Christmas hurricane, if you didn't know. Okay, that was a Christmas hurricane. It was the first ever Christmas hurricane. So Monday morning, uh, if you're a surfer, guess what was happening? I mean, the waves were rolling. So um, I am a thoroughly mediocre surfer. You need to know that as I tell this story. But I jumped up Monday morning after the hurricane, and I got down to the beach, and I paddled out about 6.15 a.m., and it was dark. And I'm, I'm wearing my little wetsuit, which is feeling a little bit too tight. And I got this hood up around my face, which is squishing my cheeks like this. And I get out there, paddled out. And about uh, 7, the sun comes up. And then about 7.30, a horde of people paddle out. Okay? And again, I'm a thoroughly mediocre surfer. Um, but a big wave's coming. I ride a bigger board so I can sit out a little bit deeper than the rest of the guys or gals. And I can catch waves a little bit sooner so that I'm already riding by the time they're paddling. Okay, you got to beat the system. I'm almost 43 years old. It is what it is, okay? So I'm out there, and I'm paddling, right? And the waves come, and I'm like, oh, man, this is great. Set wave, boom. So I start paddling. They're big waves. And I, I grab it, and I take off, and I'm, I did a couple little turns. Thoroughly mediocre, but I can hold my own. I can ride a wave. So I'm, I'm a couple little turns on the wave, and I go up, and I'm turning down like this, and I see a guy on the wave. So he's got the right away. Now, here's where it's a little dicey. I think I was standing first. I think I was riding the wave before he even started paddling. But he was deeper. The wave was breaking this way. I'm going down the line. So he's got the right away. So I am wrong. Okay? I'm in the wrong. So I was like, oh, no. So I dug my, the, for a moment, all of my insecurity jacks up. All of my like, see, you're too old. You shouldn't be in the water. You old bald man with a squishy face, you need to get out. I, I mean, am I, so the, the internal narrative in my head, you're not good enough to be out here. See, I knew it. I wasn't a good enough surfer. I ought to just quit anyway. And all of a sudden, come on, y'all hear what I'm saying? My internal narrative kicks off. And we do this all the time. We do it about our cars and our jobs and our houses and our interactions. And we do it about the words we say and where we go on vacation. I mean, we do this all the time. And we attempt to validate ourselves and to make 
ourselves feel better or to cover the shame or the brokenness inside of us through externally falsely doing things. You hear me? I sat there for a minute sitting in the water, and I had, I mean, I'm not very good on my feet, believe it or not. I know you see me up here, like, Michael, be great. No, no, I'm not good on my feet. I just looked at the guy like, okay. <laughs> and he paddled away. And I was like, this, forgive me if you're like 26 or 28, I'm, but I was like, this whippersnapper just schooled me. He just shamed me. Now, pause. Let me flip this and talk about some shame from my past for just a second. When I was a freshman and sophomore at the University of North Carolina of Wilmington, I was a student speaker for a really reputable mainline evangelical Christian group. And I was um, shamed and pushed um, by a group of staff members, about 10 staff members, into what became a cult. And I spent seven years, I'm not going to go into it here, but I spent seven years in a cult situation. Eventually they all got fired from staff except one couple who went through a repentance process. But the shame that that has produced in my life, I have spent like 15 or 16 years working through my own shame and my own journey and my own pathway so that I can look my own self in the mirror, so that I can hold my shoulders back and my head up, so that I can feel okay and know that not Michael doesn't deserve anything, but I'm worthy because God created me. And not only did he create me, all the things I've done and all the things I've participated in have been now crucified with Christ Jesus, and I've exchanged all of my brokenness and all of my failures and all the places I've messed up for the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus in me and through me. And guess what? That old guy's dead. It's really good news. But occasionally something happens in the here and now, like me sitting out there surfing. And when it does, the old shame just, and I can get run over by my own negative narrative. And if you're honest enough with me, my guess is you have similar things in your life. Now, this is the God who is the shame breaker. And when the angel shows up and he says, I bring you good news of great joy, he is inviting the shepherds out of their shame. The shepherds were likely even convicted criminals and couldn't even get jobs anywhere else, so they became shepherds. So he goes to those who are most despised, most rejected. Yahweh God sends the angels and invites the angels to, uh, or invites, sends the angels to the shepherds and invite these shepherds to the birth of Christ Jesus. Now, why? Let's define shame, and then let's look through why Mary, why Joseph, why shepherds, and then we'll light our candles. Amen? Okay. Shame is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion associated with negative self-evaluation, motivation to quit, feelings of pain, exposure, distrust, powerlessness, worthlessness. Do you think Mary was feeling shame when she came into Bethlehem that night? Probably so. You think Joseph was feeling shame? He couldn't provide. He couldn't protect. He couldn't find a great place. There was no guest bedroom in any of the houses that the people he knew. And then you got the shepherds who are out on the fields. They feel rejected, forlorn, put out. They're not even welcome at the temple. And suddenly the God who is breaks into the world we know. And he becomes the shame breaker, inviting the Marys, inviting the Josephs, inviting the shepherds, inviting the Michaels to come and experience the life of Christ and that shame would be broken off. 
So why the shepherds? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Because it illustrates, this God is illustrating who the gospel was intended to reach. His king is laid in a manger. His king is not ruling from a palace. He forsook all of his kingliness, all that he ruled and reigned in heaven, and he took on the character and likeness of a baby who couldn't even sit up and couldn't feed himself and couldn't change his own diaper. You hear me? This is the God who is the one who breaks the shame and invites you in to wholeness. Why the shepherds? Why Mary? Why Joseph? To demonstrate that Christ Jesus came to seek and save the lost, like the shepherds, like the Michaels, like the Marys, like the Josephs, maybe like you. Why the shepherds? Why Mary? Why Joseph? To communicate that this Jesus wants to know you personally and intimately. When the angel says, this will be a sign to you, he'll be wrapped in claws, laying in a manger. The angel is speaking shepherd, and he's saying, you, even you, are welcome here. So good. In Christianity, even though we're in Christ, many of us still labor under shame. Think of this. You didn't pay the mortgage? Come on, what do you feel? Shame. You didn't empty the dishwasher? What do you feel? You didn't wash the laundry? You didn't mow the grass? Come on, you hear how we inadvertently downshift into shame instead of upshift into grace. We inadvertently and unintentionally, and I would actually say to you, today on this Christmas, you're going, this isn't very Christmassy. Oh no, this is Christmas. Freedom from shame, it's life. But if you believe in a God of shame versus a God of grace, you will unintentionally function from a place of shame and, and instead of a place of grace. And so to the degree that you serve and believe in a God of shame, you're gonna turn around and become a source of shame on a spouse, on a friend, on a child, on employees, on coworkers, on neighbors. And each of us as people has an opportunity to upshift into the freedom and the life of Christ Jesus to forsake shame, to come out, of the shepherd fields to come out of the young little Mary teenage who's being shunned and shamed and to find rest and wholeness in the person of Christ Jesus. If you function from a place of shame, you will unintentionally shame others who don't live up to your expectations. If you're motivated by shame avoidance, you'll motivate others the same way. Now listen to me. The only way to get rid of this, because I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and there's still times where I find myself downshifting into shame-based living instead of upshifting into grace-based, Christ alone, faith alone, Jesus alone living. And here's what I do. It happens all the time. Something even happened yesterday. And I had to go, Father, would you forgive me? I've gotten really good at these breath prayers. Father, would you forgive me? I'm finding myself downshifting into shame-based living again and pushing that on my wife and my kids and people around me. I don't want to do that. Would you remind me that the old guy's dead and would you allow me to upshift into grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone? Listen to me as the band is going to come back out here a minute and we're going to light our candles and remind ourselves that we're the light of the world. Christmas is not about gifts and trees. It includes those things, and they're wonderful. 
but Christmas is about finding freedom from shame. It's, fi it's about finding freedom from sin. It's about entering into a relationship with this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's about forsaking the old and embracing the new. It's about upshifting out of shame and into grace alone. Here's the truth. My shame of the past has often kept me from joy. Today, I bring you good news of great, inviting you from the shepherd field. Here's the other truth, that there's things in the here and now where my current shame, even in my own Jesus journey, keeps me from joy. Today, I bring you good news of great, Listen to me, church. If you're here and you've never given your life to this Jesus, he is the shame breaker. He is the joy maker. If you're here and you've been a Christian a long time, but you're like, man, I don't think I've ever known anything but shame. I've got an invitation for you to take a step in your heart and begin to go, Father, would you help me know you as the shame breaker and the joy maker? Because on this Christmas, he's got good tidings of great Come on, we can do better than that. This Christmas, he's got good tidings of great Oh, hallelujah. Come on, there is a God in heaven. Woo, Merry Christmas. Let's all stand together, and you are going to take your candle, and we're going to sing a song. Now, this is really important. I know you're standing, so there's like moving all around. It's really important. When your candle gets lit, you're going to light somebody else's candle, right? You're the light of the world. You're going to share joy, because tonight we're bringing you good news of great Okay, but here's the deal. Once your candle's lit, if you light somebody else's candle like this, what's going to happen? You're going to drip wax on them. So if your candle's lit, you just take it to them. And they have to light their candle off you. It's just like faith. All you can do is offer your light. And what do they have to do? They got to light their candle. Tonight, we bring you good news of great. Let's worship the Lord and I'll close this in prayer.
Father, I pray over this congregation at this time that we would receive fully what you intended to illustrate and demonstrate and communicate by who you called to be present at your birth. And Father, I pray that we would experience this Christmas as we experience trees and stockings and gifts and joy with our families and even perhaps pain, that we would experience you as king, as shame breaker, as joy maker and that we would receive the invitation to step out of the old and into the new newness in Christ and freedom in Christ father would you bless this church family would you meet with every single one of them Father, those who are lonely this Christmas would you meet them would you surround them would you let them know that you care those whose homes are full of family I pray that laughter would ring true and joy would be present Father, we praise you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And this is your advent. When you came, you arrived with us. Father, thank you for inviting us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. You may carefully extinguish your candle. Please carry the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus and the shame-breaking power of Jesus in your heart, even though you're extinguishing your candle. As it dries, you can set it on your chair. May you know the presence of the Lord Jesus this Christmas, and may you celebrate him in big and powerful ways. If you need special prayer, there'll be a few of us up here. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love to pray with you. Merry Christmas. Uh, I was wrong. I'm being corrected. I'm not going to feel shame. <laughs> there are baskets by the door, and you're going to put your candle in the basket by the door. We love you guys. Amen and amen. We're so glad you've listened in with us here at Saltbox, and we'd love to get to know you better. So we hope you'll stay in touch and get more involved by joining us on the YouTube live stream. We hope you have a great week, and we encourage you to keep digging into your faith, because at the end of the day, it's just Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing less.